Good morning, friends. It's good to be back with you. We had um, our presbytery meetings this weekend, so um, I would ask you to continue to pray for not only our church, but our presbytery and all the work that that is happening there and what God is doing. Um, What a privilege to be with you all again this morning and to hear the students, our own students, lead us in worship. Um, You know, worship is never a show, right? It's not a performance, right? That we're coming to hear a concert or uh, someone playing an instrument or singing a solo. It's really something that we do together because the focus is not one another. The focus is God himself. And he deserves all our attention, all the glory, all the credit, all the praise. As one songwriter that I loved when I was growing up used to say, if we had a thousand years, it would not be enough to sing his praises, right? Well, um, let me dive into this passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 19, and I will just um, say a little, a little caution. Um, this is such a critical passage about God's Word that I may not finish, and I'll have to continue. I'm going to be leading um, the next few weeks in going through God's Word. I appreciate it so much, Pastor Jeff, leading us uh, in the last few weeks in Second Timothy. We are making our way through Second Timothy, having finished First Timothy, and we're going to go through Titus as well. And then we're going to get ready for the Advent. And so God is pushing us forward through His Word. But um, because I'm going to be doing a few weeks in succession, if I don't finish, I'm not going to try to cram it all in and keep you here long. I'm going to see if we can um, digest what we have and then the Lord will lead us forward. Before I pray, I want to ask you uh, a question. So have you ever bought something that you thought it was the real thing and it ended up not being the real thing but being a fake? So I'm a New Yorker. So what happens is when you get off the subway in New York is um, there are these people all through the subway stations trying to sell you things. And one time I bought a Gucci watch <laughs> because I wanted to impress my brother. I wanted to give it to him for his birthday. And so you know what happened? I ended up giving it to him. It looked really good. I gave it to him. He gave me a hug like he's never given me before my whole life. It's just two boys, right? So um, he was so like, how did you do this? Where'd you get the money from? All this kind of stuff. I just didn't say anything. (laughs) But a year later, all the letters started fading. (laughs) And he figured it out that this was not the original thing. So my dad used to have this sweet car. Um, It wasn't a sports car or anything. It was just a cool car that my brother and I liked. Um, It was a Honda Accord that had these pop-up lights. So as soon as you turned it on, you guys, some of you remember this? So you turn it on and the lights come up. And I said, Dad, we're missing one little thing. We need a sunroof. So he... Uh, he, he said, seriously, I, I don't, won't use it. I said, please, just for us, like we're, you know, we're like in high school and it's like, it'd be cool if you drop us off in this, you know. 
so he obliged and we spent like 500 bucks and got a sunroof with this cool pop-up lights and all this stuff. So I've always had this thing for Hondas. Jay and I get married. We moved here to Dallas. We're about to have Jesse and our car is on the fritz. And uh, the car that we had, she had this little Mazda that her dad had given her for college. Her parents had given her for college. I said, honey, let's go trade this thing in finally and let's get a Honda. So I bought a Honda from Honda of McKinney. It was called a Honda Passport. Cool car. Um, it wasn't the greatest color. It was like really, really like hunter green, but it was um, a nice looking car. Yeah, I mean, it was a Honda, right? Well, a year into having the Honda, it started having this little stall problem. It wasn't brand new. It was used anyway, but um, it started having a stall problem. So I took it to a mechanic that I trusted and you know what he said to me? He said, you know, this isn't a Honda, right? I said, come by me again. <laughs> I bought this from Honda of McKinney. He said, no, these passports are actually Isuzu Troopers because they have Isuzu engines. It just says Honda on the outside. You should have seen me. <laughs> I was ticked it okay so it looked like a honda passport but it has an isuzu engine that means the most important part of the honda is not a honda um we go through our lives realizing that a lot of stuff isn't what it's supposed to be by the way i couldn't wait to get rid of that car uh we had jesse and probably on the way to jersey we <laughs> traded that thing in and then um, ended up getting something else. But um, this passage is about fakes and imposters. And this is what I want to really get to when I'm talking about this. Like, like I said, I don't want to cram everything in because there's so many important lines in this passage. I'll try to do my best. But we as a church, as Trinity Presbyterian Church here on the corner of Hedgecoaks in Ohio, Ohio, and as a church of Jesus Christ, we have to be incredibly concerned about the purity of the gospel and the word of God. That is the most important thing to Pastor Jeff and myself and our elders and our officers. It's that we don't dilute and give you fakes instead of the real thing. And what I mean by that is really being able to give you the word. Do you ever wonder why our sermons are long? It's about the Word. All the other things are good and important, but the Word is the most important part of what makes us believers. It's the Gospel. It's God's Word. And that's why here at Trinity, we give such an important place to that and to teaching God's Word in Sunday school. Please, if you don't come to Sunday school, come to Sunday school. Young people, adults, hear more of God's Word every chance that you get. And we're going to teach it. We're going to do our best. That doesn't mean we're going to get it right every time and that it will be perfect or without error every time, but we are going to do our best. Keep that line in your mind. Do your best. Do the best. Okay, well, let me pray. Father, I just pray that you would give us ears to hear and that the truths of what's in this passage will come out that your Holy Spirit would convict and nudge us 
and that we as a church might have the awareness again that you are most important. And it is through your Son that we are beautiful and made holy and made yours. So my prayer for my own heart and even my own little ones in this room and everyone here is that you would give us the eyes to see your gospel in your Son. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, two ideas from this passage. The good and the bad. Okay? There's good and this bad in this passage. Some good aspects that Paul talks about to Timothy and some bad aspects. I'm going to start with the bad to save it the good for the end. But I'm going to give you a little bit of an actual breakdown. Verse 14 Paul gives a charge, and it's a prohibitive charge, so think of it as the bad. Verse 15 is an exhortational charge, also a charge, but an exhortational charge, and it's good. It's the good stuff that Paul wants to tell Timothy and Ephesus. Verses 16 to 18, Paul gives us an example, but it's actually a negative example, because he actually mentions a couple people, calls them out. So, another aspect of the bad in this that Paul wants to convey. In verse 19, Paul gives a warning and then he ends with a promise that should give us confidence. So I'm going to kind of start there, but let me mention a few things in background uh, first that I think should be helpful to you. Um, As I mentioned earlier, this is all about the preaching and teaching of God's Word and about fakes and imposters versus true preachers and teachers of the Word. Because now, as it was then, there are really people who are imposters who talk about God, but they're really not giving you the truth about God. They're twisting it. Or they're diluting it. Or they're, they're, they're messing it up. They're not really giving you the Gospel. And so, let, let me say one, one more thing here before I keep going forward. Do you realize that we as a church and many Christ-centered biblical churches around the world give importance to the preaching of the Word. Because it is the primary way that the resurrected Christ speaks to us today. That God has ordained and decided that the way that the words of God and Christ should be heard and received is through the preaching of the Word. Primarily, doesn't mean that reading's not important. It is, and meditating and studying. But the preaching of the Word is what God has decided as the key way for us to receive the truths of God. And that's why, you know, some people might think this is an outdated thing, preaching. No, it's not. It's what God has decided for us to learn and receive His Word from is as the preacher engages the congregation. And it's addressed to leadership, to pastors and to teachers. Let me mention a couple of reasons why I think this is actually addressed to the leaders of Ephesus where Paul is going to leave Timothy behind or has left Timothy behind as the main pastor, but there's other under-shepherds under Timothy here at the church in Ephesus. And so... Paul's actually addressing leaders and teachers. And so for us, I want this to be for teachers in the room. Sunday school teachers, adult Sunday school teachers, preachers, 
Listen to 2 Timothy 2.2 and trust to faithful men who can teach the Word of God to others also. Do you remember that line? So, Paul's actually teaching Timothy so he can teach others to teach as well. And then in verse 19, this is coming from our own passage here. In verse 19, it says, But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal, that the Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. I want to just tell you very quickly that the reason that line, that sentence is in this passage is because it's a quote from number 16. Paul is quoting the Greek translation of the Old Testament named called the Septuagint and actually quoting from not the Hebrew translation of the Old Testament but the Greek translation of the New Testament of the Old Testament called the Septuagint and he's quoting from number 16 which is a passage where there's a rebellion against Moses and Aaron as the leaders of God and who's leading the rebellion a man named Korah and Korah saying who made you in the authority alone all of us are holy the whole assembly of God's people are holy who says you alone should speak and Moses quotes number 16 i mean Moses says in response this line, he says, the Lord knows those who are His. And now Paul is quoting that here in the context of fake preachers and teachers to say, hey, listen, God decides. God who sees everything, God who knows everything, the Lord will decide, Korah, who are really His and who are not His. And the Lord will take care of this. Let the Lord show us. And by the way, we're going to come back to this passage. You're going to know and hear what happens to Korah. And not just to Korah, but to all his household. All right. Well, <clears throat> let me um, jump in to this problem, this false teaching problem. Did this start just with Moses? Did this start just with the early church? Or is it an ancient problem to people who are teaching false things? Let's just for a moment think about the garden. You know where I'm going, right? Here is a picture from the Garden of Eden itself of someone twisting the words of God to deceive Eve. And who was that? The serpent. He says, did God really say this and this? Do you notice what the serpent is doing? He's kind of using God's Word, and then he's twisting it. He's putting a little bit of subtle twist on it, and false teaching begins. And by the way, false teaching has not ended since then. All throughout church history. And it happened in Ephesus, and that's why Paul is warning Timothy, and he even predicted it. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor and turn in your Bibles. By the way, bring your Bibles. If you don't bring your Bibles, bring your Bibles. Because you need to see the whole context in the section before it and the section afterwards when we open up God's Word. So 2 Timothy chapter... Um, I'm sorry, I said Acts 20. Look at Acts 20 with me for a moment. 
Acts 20, and I'm going to read it, read verses 26 to 32. This is Paul predicting in the book of Acts what is going to happen in Ephesus as he's telling the Ephesian elders, okay? Acts 20, 26 to 32. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you, hear this, the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which He obtained with His blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away, from the, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend to you and to the world and to the word of His grace, which is the gospel, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So Paul's already predicted what's going to happen. And, and by the way, what, what is it? That's going to happen. Not people from the outside, but people from the inside. From right within the church. People who are fakes and imposters, twisting God's Word just a little bit to make it sound like it's truth or God's Word, but actually leading people astray. And do you know what, um, what Paul is concerned about here, friends? He's concerned for Timothy and the Ephesian church because he's a dying man and the time of the apostles is going to be no more. Peter, Paul, and John are all going to be dead. And the church is going to be left without the apostles for the first time. And false teachers like Fierce wolves are going to come in just slightly twisting God's Word and say, hey, didn't God say this? And lead people astray to damage and ungodliness and to their deaths. And, and Paul's just very concerned. Paul's very concerned for his son in the faith. He's concerned for the church of God. And we should, listen, we should be concerned about our church today and about the church around the world. Because when you take God's Word and just twist it a little bit, you're going away from the Gospel. In fact, the Apostle Paul calls it another Gospel. Not the Gospel of Christ, but something else when you twist it a little bit. This is just a quick thing. When I was in seminary, there we had our president at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia was a Jonathan Edwards scholar. And Dr. Logan used to talk about Jonathan Edwards and say this, you know, what, what Edwards used to fight against is the subtlety that people bring in. Just a little off. Which seems like the real thing, but it's not. And used to preach hard against that to say, no, keep your eyes on the Word itself and all of it and the whole counsel of God so you don't fall away by these little twists and turns that are all, all around. Okay, I've got I've to jump in here. Um, I've read, read to you Acts 20. 
Let me um, mention to you, this is around A.D. 66, A.D. 67. Paul is in a prison in Rome. Jay and I, in 2019, had a chance to visit this prison. It's called Mamertinum, the Mamertine prison in Rome. It's a hole in the ground, way underneath the buildings. And tradition very strongly suggests that both Peter and Paul were kept in that prison. And it is very likely that prison that Paul is writing these words from. And it's the words of a dying man writing to his beloved son in the faith and to the church and to say, keep the main thing, the main thing. Beware of false teachers. Beware of people who just twist the word a little bit. And it sounds good, but it's not because it's going to lead you astray. And that's why this book is incredibly significant for us. It's it's preparing the early church for the future. A future without the apostles. A future without Peter, Paul, and John. And without their direct influence and teaching, without their advice and guidance through their helpful letters. So, as I mentioned earlier, it is addressed to the teachers, but it's also addressed to the whole church. Because at the very last line of 2 Peter, it says, Grace be to you all. I just mention that because I don't want you to think, oh, this is just for the teachers in the room and the preachers in the room. Paul's writing this for the whole church. That you in that last line, grace be to you all, is you plural, which means everybody, the whole church. And every single one of you, my friends, should be concerned about the teaching and the preaching of God's Word and the dilution of it, and moving away to the left or to the right of it. Including us, Jeff and myself, and anyone who stands here, you should come up and say, that was off, or that didn't sound right. Can you help me understand that? And we are in need of that kind of accountability and that reinforcement so that we will stay true to God's Word. By the way, That is why when we preach this Word, we try to stick to the Word as closely as we possibly can because that is the most important thing. It's not the illustrations. It's not the stories on the side. It's not the humor. I just read this again from my friend Paul who handed me a sermon from John Stott, one of the greatest preachers in the last, I believe, 200 years. John Stott of England of All Souls Church in Langham Place. Do you know John Stott hardly used humor or illustrations? Ever! And yet when he opened the Word, it was so clear and powerful that people would jam into all souls both morning and evening. Do you hear that? Hardly any illustrations and hardly any humor. But when the purity and clarity of God's Word is preached and taught. There is something that happens in the hearts of believers because you walk away filled rather than empty. Amen? That is why we do what we do. Well, the first thing is the negative things here, right? I'm going to try to go through this uh, somewhat quickly as an overview so that you will study even further. I know that I had to do a little bit of intro there, but here's the first things that Paul says. 
in verse 14 and verse 16, and then even in verse 23, he talks about some of the negative aspects. Verse 14 says, don't wrangle about words. What is our actual translation? Our translation says, um, and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Verse 14 says, useless words leads to the ruin of the hearers. Verse 16 says, worldly and empty chatter. Here it says, in the ESV it says, but avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And then later in verse 23 it says, um, avoid foolish and ignorant speculations. You know, this is not talking about like, you know, when you're studying the Bible together and you're in Bible study and you're asking each other about words and, hey, what does this really mean? And you kind of get sidetracked a little. That's not what it's talking about. Don't misunderstand what the Apostle Paul's saying. But there's a way of talking about words and arguing about words that doesn't actually edify anybody. And in the end, it promotes ungodliness and not godliness. Do you know people like this? You know, people who are just hung on words and they're talking sometimes a lot and it's useless words leading to the ruin of the hearers, worldly and empty chatter leading to further ungodliness, foolish and ignorant speculations. You know, what really is in view here is mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 to 5. So I'm going to go back to that. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 to 5. Listen to this. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit. Do you know what's behind people who babble and are using useless words and getting people off the subject of God's Word and getting into debates and arguments it's conceit he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing he has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy dissension slander evil suspicions evil suspicions and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth imagining that godliness is a means of gain. And then in verse 6, he goes on to say, but godliness with contentment is great gain. I ask this question, do you know people like this? Because this is so easy to happen amongst us. Where we're talking about irrelevant things sometimes, coming out of an unhealthy craving and interest in talking and debating and quarreling in controversial conversations. And I think that such, such people, they're asking questions, but they're not really even interested in the answer, actually. They're s simply wanting others to hear how clever they are. Sometimes it's like a game for them. Let's talk about it. Let's debate this. Let's argue about this for a little while. And I think it comes mostly from pride. 
And in some ways, I'm going to go out on a limb here, in some ways it's even putting them on par with God's words when you do that. Almost as if that conversation is as equal as what God is trying to say. And it's dangerous. Listen, this can happen to all of us. C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters has a line that says this, Jargon, not argument, is your best ally. This is Screwtape writing to Wormwood in the first letter. He says, Jargon, not argument, is your best ally in keeping him from the church. Just start talking and arguing about words. Satan knows how to get folks to quarrel about words that have no real meaning because eventually if everyone's opinion counts, there's no meaning. False teaching and twisting of words. Um, Let me go on to the positive, okay? I think you got the point of what I was trying to say. We need to be aware and beware of people who do this around us, but especially from the pulpit, especially when preaching and teaching God's Word, because they are really deviating from the truth and the authority of God's Word. Well, the positive comes to us in verse 15. Be diligent to present yourselves to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the Word of truth. This is how it says it in the ESV. Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That's the positive, the positive aspects that Paul mentions to Timothy. And I'm going to give you three ideas from this for you to consider this, okay? There's a way in which you're to do your work, Timothy. Because teaching and preaching God's word is work. You have to wrestle with the text. You have to meditate on the text. You have to understand what it means as the author meant it and then learn to apply it to our circumstances in our world today, even in our modern culture. And Paul's saying, first, there's a way in which you're to do your work, Timothy, diligently, as a workman, very aware that he's doing it before the Lord. You know, one of the most fearsome things for me as I stand in front of you is I realize, even at this very minute, the Lord's looking over me right now as I'm talking about His Word. It's before the Lord. And for the Lord. For the Lord Jesus and for God's kingdom and glory. And we are not to be ashamed but with a clear conscience. Paul is telling Timothy, do you teach that way? Diligently, working hard, with a clear conscience that you, have, you are doing justice to God's Word and not just mentioning your own thoughts and opinions? Listen, each and every one of us will stand before the Lord in one day and give account of what we did and how we did it. And we are called to not be embarrassed, not to be ashamed but confident. Secondly, Paul says, accurately handling the word of truth. Now, 
In the King James Version, it actually uses this. Because I, I grew up with a King James Bible. I still remember this verse from the King James Bible. It actually says it this way. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Like you're dividing it and separating it and studying it and analyzing the parts. Rightly dividing the word of truth. As I mentioned earlier, sticking to the word of God. So, there's been some question here. What is the origin of this? By the way, it isn't so important what the origin is, but it is a little interesting to think about. Some people say it's an agricultural origin or example, like someone who is plowing a field, and whether the line is straight or wavy, and if you are digging through the dirt and plowing through clearly. I remember when I had to cut the grass at my parents' house in New Jersey. It was a big backyard. And you know what would happen if I didn't keep my eyes on a point in the back? I look back and I see all kinds of wavy lines from the lawnmower. And I'd have to realize I got to keep a, a point in view at the end so that when I'm cutting, I can go straight and then I can come back straight. That's what it kind of means to divide the word of truth the right way. Keeping a clear path. Having an end in view. Or... Is this an illustration from the Roman world? Because the Romans were very famous, as one commentator put it, put, put it to creating straight roads. The Ostian Way is a famous road. It's actually the road that Paul was taken out from the prison to bring him to the outside of uh, Rome's limits and got beheaded. Point A to point B, straight. Well, whatever the case, it doesn't really matter whether it was... Um, a agricultural illustration or a Roman illustration, here's the point. Don't get sidetracked. The idea is that we're not to get sidetracked. We're not to get sidetracked on useless and unimportant things and we're to hold to the main things and rightly interpret the Bible with a view to seeing the whole counsel of God as the Word of God. Is that what you hear? You know, young people who are here, in many ways this passage, some of you guys who are getting ready to go back to college, been praying for you all very much. Some of you have been in college and you're ready to go back. And you know, your parents give you all kinds of instruction right before you leave, right? Like 500 instructions. But only the first 300 are the most important. You know why they're doing that? Because they're having to say goodbye. And they know they're not going to be with you. And they're trying to tell you the most important things to stick to and to remember. They say, I know I'm telling you 500 things, but these 300, they're the most important. This is what Paul's doing. Paul is writing to someone who he's not going to really be able to see anymore. And he's saying, don't forget. The Word of God and the gospel of Christ is the most important thing. And if you twist it a little, you're done. You're damaged. You're headed to destruction and death. So 
Stay on the straight and narrow line when it comes to the Word of God, accurately dividing it for meaning, for for, for the right meaning, according to the whole counsel of God and not getting sidetracked within our worldly agendas or personal ideas and thoughts. You know, young people, listen, you guys who are heading off to college, be absolutely certain to find a church that teaches and preaches God's Word exactly for what it is. That spends time on God's Word. That doesn't do everything else and leaves preaching for the last ten minutes that doesn't exposit the text. Beware. There are false teachers everywhere that just twist God's Word a tiny little bit and says, didn't God say this? And then finally, what is this word of truth referring to? Some people say it's the whole Bible, all 66 books, Genesis to Revelation, and other people say, no, it's actually the message of the, go- of the Gospel more specifically. But the whole Bible's about the Gospel. From beginning to end, it's about the story of Christ's redemption for us. And the Gospel's in the Bible. The Gospel is the Bible. The Bible is the Gospel. Listen, Paul's dying concern was about the gospel in all its beauty, clarity, and purity to be preached and taught to the glory of God in Christ. And he says this to Timothy with tears. Beware, Timothy. I'm going to take two more minutes just to tell you about the example. He mentions two people, Hymenaeus and Philetus. Do you know what Hymenaeus and Philetus were doing? They were saying, there is no resurrection coming. This is how I'm understanding it, all right? The resurrection isn't going to be a physical resurrection that's going to come in the future. It's already happened. It's a spiritual resurrection when you got a new spirit. You see how it's just a little twist? He's not saying there's no resurrection. They're saying there's no future resurrection of the bodies. It's already happened spiritually. So then, someone in the congregation is saying, so then, what does that have to mean about our bodies now? I can do whatever I want with my body if there's no future resurrection. Is that applicable to us today? You know, do whatever you want with the body because it's not important. You've already, gotten a phys- you've already gotten a spiritual resurrection when the Spirit of God is coming in you. You can get abortions. You can change your body. You can transform your body. You can abuse your body with alcohol and all kinds of stuff. You can hurt. It doesn't matter. You're already spiritually renewed. It's just a little twist. But leads people completely to damage and death. That's what's happening in our world right now where people are twisting God's Word and saying, nope, I think there's room for other interpretations here. And just a little bit off the truth. And that's what Paul calls another Gospel. And Paul says, beware. Do you notice, by the way, in this letter that's being read out loud at the Ephesian church while Paul's in prison in Rome, he's calling them out by name. Hymenaeus, Philetus, And then there's others. 
There's Demas who has left the faith. He's calling them out by name as an example and saying, beware of people like this who twist the truth. They're going to lead to your destruction. The last thing is a warning that comes from number 16. Let me, let me give you the end of that story. Moses says to Korah, in the morning, let's see what happens. God's in charge. The Lord knows who is His and who is not His, Korah. I'm not going to debate you. I'm not going to fight with you or argue with you or take your threats. Let's see what the Lord says. And in the morning, you know what happened? The Lord opens up the earth and swallows up Korah and all his sons and everyone associated with him. The earth swallows them up and covers over it and even the 250 men doing the incense are destroyed. And you know what Moses was saying and what Paul is saying here? The Lord is in charge. The Lord knows everything. The Lord sees everything. And the Lord's in control and He knows those who are His. And he also knows those who aren't his. And one day it'll all be clear. But what is our promise to us? That's a warning. And what is our promise to us in the final word? Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. You, you, you might think, where's the promise there? I'm going to close with this. Listen, this is the gospel. Those who are called by the Lord will name the name of the Lord. And when you call on the name of the Lord and you say, I need you, I am dead, I am sinful, I am weak, and I need you, the Lord will keep you and the Lord will strengthen you and then you will depart from evil and you are His. You are kept. You are His children. The Lord has your name and you will survive and you will persevere until the very end. Until the resurrection day. It's the gospel. Be confident, brothers and sisters, in God's word. Listen, to be extremely clear, no matter what situation you are in right now, if you call on the name of the Lord and you recognize that Jesus is the Son of God, that He lived a perfect life, that He died the death that you should have died, and given us the life that He already lived, and that He was put to death on a cross for our sins, and rose again on the third day, and it ascended into heaven with a resurrected body, and promises that we too will have resurrection bodies when He comes back for us. That's the gospel of the name of the Lord that we call on. And you will be saved. Don't live in fear. Paul's telling Timothy, don't be afraid, Timothy. Keep your eyes on the main thing. Stay straight, dividing the word of truth and avoiding useless words and debates and keeping the gospel the main thing. Last word to my dear young people here. Um, you're going to learn a lot of great things. But nothing is more important than the gospel. 
Nothing is more useful. Nothing is more beneficial. And nothing will cause you to stand till the end like the gospel. Let's pray. Father, give us your grace to stand on your word and to read it and to study it and to meditate on it and to hear it preached by those who are yours. And I pray, O oh Lord, that we would indeed be yours, that we would not be fakes and imposters, but that we would be true to you fully, that we would cling to Christ and his gospel alone and not our own gospel or another gospel. Father, preserve us, preserve our little church Preserve our children as they go out from among us. Lord, hold them, sanctify them by your truth. And we look forward to you coming back for us. Come, Lord Jesus. And it's in his name we pray.